Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. My worst fear every time I walk up here is I'm going to trip and fall flat on my face in front of all of you guys when I come up onto the stage. Uh, But if you don't know me, my name is CT, and I'm a volunteer here. I don't get paid by Collective. I'm not on staff, but I do get the chance to speak about once or twice every quarter. And I've been up here four times now, and I feel like we have a good thing going here. This relationship is growing a little bit. You're getting to learn a little bit more about me, and I'm feeling more comfortable up here with all of you as well. And I feel like we're moving in the right direction At the risk of blowing all of that up today, I'm going to tell you something about myself that may make you question everything that you know about me. You may walk out of here angry. You may walk out of here feeling sorry for my wife and my child. And you may wonder what traumatic thing happened to make me turn out the way that I did. But in true storyteller fashion, I'm going to wait until the end of the sermon to come back to that point. How's that for a cliffhanger, right? I'm telling you that I'm the worst, but I'm the worst for making you wait to find out why I'm the worst. Let's do a quick overview of the series that we're in right now. It's called Roots. Michael kicked this off for us last week, and we are digging into a part of Scripture, a part of the Bible from the book of Acts, where we're learning about the early church, how they formed, things that they did, and why they were intentional about those things. And we're also learning more about the DNA of our church at Collective and the why behind some of the things that we do. So let's just uh, think about the word roots for a minute. When you think about the word roots, obviously trees come to mind, but everything has roots, a story, a beginning. Your family has roots. The organization that you work for has roots. Frederick has roots. I looked it up. Uh, Frederick was formed in 1745 by German immigrants, but a lot of our early story, our roots, comes from a very historical event that occurred, the Civil War, in Frederick. In fact, President Abraham Lincoln once stopped while he was president in Frederick and gave a speech at what is now the Action Agency at the corner of All Saints and Market downtown. With so many national battlefields around us, it would make sense that our town became a safe haven and a hospital for all of the wounded to get treated during the war as well. And a lot of who we are, our roots as a city, are traced back to the Civil War. Last week, Michael told us the roots, the beginnings of a lot of companies that started completely on accident. Wheaties, he said, accidentally fell into a stovetop. A slinky was accidentally bumped off of a shelf, a shelf, and that's how they became what we know them to be today. And I was sitting right here in the front row last week, and I was thinking how much of life is completely accidental, and we don't even know it. I told the story last time I was up here of a 20-year-old kid named Shane who is now worth about $200 million because he won the lottery. It's accidental. It's luck. But when you look at the early church and the way it was formed, nothing is accidental. Everything had a purpose. Everything was intentional and was done so for a reason. So we are studying that because they formed the church for that reason, and we want to find out what that reason is. 
So with that in mind, let's jump jump straight into the Bible. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What we are particularly interested in today is verse 46, where they met together in the temple courts. They broke bread together in homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And today, today, we're going to talk about why the early church was intentional about meeting in homes together. And there are a lot of other instances in the New Testament where it mentions the fact that the early church met together in homes, and we're going to look at that in just a minute. But Michael mentioned this last week, and I'm going to reiterate it. The Bible is the ultimate authority. It's not me, it's not Michael, it's not your family. The Bible is the ultimate authority. And so the reason we dig into and we invest in other parts of the Bible besides what we are studying today is because the Bible is the ultimate authority. It's the roots for our lives as well. And I'm going to throw a list out here. There's going to be a lot of names in this list. Don't get caught up in the names. If you don't know who they all are, it's entirely okay. Before I made this list this week, I didn't know who all of them were either. That's not the main point. But in Acts chapter 12, verse 12, Peter, who was one of Jesus' disciples, hung out with Jesus for years, learned directly from him, said that he went to the home of Mary where the people had gathered to pray. So there's a woman and people are praying in her house. 1 Corinthians 19 says that Aquila and Priscilla greet you, the people of Corinth, warmly and those that meet in their house. Colossians 4.15 says to give greetings to those in Laodicea and to Nympha, real girl's name, Nympha, and the church in her house. Philemon 2, Paul is writing to Philemon and the church that meets in his home and also in the book of Acts, not too far from where we are today, just a few pages over, chapter 5, verse 42, tells us that day after day they met in the temple courts and house to house, never stopping preaching and teaching the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So, in the passage we're looking at from the book of Acts and in other places in the Bible as well, you can see the church intentionally met in homes and it's part of the foundation of how the church was built. In just a minute, we're going to discover what meeting in homes allows us to do, but first we need to dig into the foundational truth of what the church is. There's a man named John Piper. He's popular in Christian circles. He's an author and he's a writer. He created a website called DesiringGod.com, and he wrote an article about the idea of the church. And he says, in the New Testament, the church is about people. It's not a place. The origin of the word church never refers to a building. It refers to us, to people. The English translation of the word church means belonging to the Lord. In Matthew 18, 17, the author of that book is talking about how to deal with sin. And one of the steps that is listed is if they still refuse, tell it to the church. 
Now, obviously, this doesn't mean you're going to come to West Frederick Middle School and talk to the bricks about sin in somebody else's life. That sounds silly and redundant to say, but he is telling us the church is people. It's not a building. Also in Matthew, Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says, On this rock I will build my church. Now, Peter was also called Cephas, which means rock, and you could confuse the fact that Jesus is saying, if you find this specific rock, you will find where the very first church ever existed geographically, but he is saying, you, Peter, my rock person, is how I am going to build the church. And over and over and over again, we see the church is not a place, it's people. A location does not comprise what the church is, people are the church. And so for us, the people who are the church, who do meet in homes here at Collective, what does this allow us to do? Three main things. Number one, we get to share meals together. I mentioned in the past that I spent a year living in Uganda in 2012 and 2013 in East Africa. And on my way home, I got to spend about three weeks wandering wherever I wanted to go through Europe. Very cheaply, but very adventure-filled three weeks. And I was in Barcelona, Spain. And I was about ready to set out and do all my tourist activities for the day. And I met these two guys who were from Seattle. If you haven't done international travel before, at least the way I did international travel was, hey, you're from America, I'm from America, you seem like you're not a total and complete creep, so let's hang out for the day. So me and these two dudes from Seattle, we become friends, and we're just wandering all over the city of Barcelona, and we find a church on a Sunday evening that does a worship service in English and in Spanish, and so the three of us go together. After the service is over, we're getting ready to split our separate ways and go back to our hostels when this dude named Julio approaches us, who I hadn't seen in the church, but he approaches us and he says, hey, would you guys like to come to my house for dinner? And the Seattle guys and I kind of look at each other, and he can see we're a little bit questionable, so he throws in the next line of, there are four beautiful women at home cooking a meal waiting for us. And so me and the two guys from Seattle look at each other, and we look back at Julio, and kind of at the same time, we're like, sure, let's go. (laughs) I was thinking on the way there, like, this is how you never get heard from again. You're too trusting of people because you're a why not person, and we're leaving the part of the city that I know, and we're following this complete stranger to his house, and a part of me says, what am I thinking But I went to this guy's house, and we walk in, and there are four women cooking a meal, and it's set down before us. And about 8 o'clock at night, 10 of us sit down around their table, and we have a meal together. And before you know it, it's midnight. For hours and hours, we just talked, and we shared, and we had conversation, and we got to know each other centered on food. Think about any function that you go to, birthday parties, galas. Fundraisers, collective events, they all involve food. And that's for a reason. Meals give us a chance to get to know each other. You create conversation, you build relationships. Everything that that happened that night in Spain for me is magnified time and time again when you bring food into the equation. That leads straight into step number two, which is where you begin to feel comfortable with each other. 
Now, I have a bit of bad news for you, not like why I'm an awful, terrible person, bad news, but bad news about being comfortable with each other. If you jump into a small group, if you jump into new community, I guarantee you is going to be awkward at first. Many of you know my wife. She's probably right out here being way too busy for a woman who's two weeks away from getting ready to give birth. But we have a beautiful life together that started May 31st, 2014. That was the day of our first date. And if you're listening, do not take first date advice from me. (laughs) There's supposed to be a starting date and an end date so it doesn't get to the point of being awkward and you have to try to figure out what to do. But me, at the time, not being from this area, just passing through, thought it would be a great idea for us to go to Washington, D.C. and be tourists for the day. I know here it's kind of overlooked, but if you're not from this area, Washington, D.C. is a destination. And I wanted to go see the sights, but I didn't think about the fact that that meant a car ride together, a train ride together, lunch, hours together in Washington, D.C., walking all over the National Mall, dinner together, a train ride back home, and a car ride back home. So we spent about eight or nine hours together on our first date, and guess what? There were times where it was awkward. You know, the like staring at the floor because you don't really know what to say, and you have nothing that's coming to mind, and in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to think of something to say. It was weird. But I walked away from that night and I said, I want to do this again. I had fun. Let's do this again. And we did. But oftentimes, when it comes to the church, I mean, I went to that baseball game. I tried going to the picnic. I even tried going to a small group. And it was weird. I felt uncomfortable. I didn't really connect with anybody. So I think I'm just going to try something else. And we let the initial awkwardness stop us from engaging in real conversation. And I get it. I'm an extrovert. I love talking to people. I'm comfortable having conversations with just about anybody. That's my personality. And some of us in the room are a little more shy, reserved. Talking to strangers, people that we don't know that well, makes us nervous. And I understand But one of the reasons why Michael challenges us to try five, come five weeks in a row, is that if you're an extrovert or an introvert, you begin to get comfortable and familiar with your surroundings and the people that come to this church. Let me give you an example of what this looks like from my family and another family that comes to this church as well. Uh, I met the husband of this family in the parking lot, and we connected and hit it off, and hey, we should get the kids together and have them play sometime, and that turned into we were decided to go to Baker Park to the pool, and so we brought food. Number one, we shared a meal together. We brought food, and we hung out at the pool, and it was cool, and it was a good time, but there was still a little bit of that awkward uneasiness of getting to know somebody. But we kept at it, and we kept digging in and investing. And last week, the, the husband of the family texted me. He said, hey, man, I'm taking a trip to the dump. I know you have stuff. Do you have anything that you want me to take for you? And I was like, yeah, sure, actually, I do. If you want to take it, that'd be great. And so he took it to the dump for me, and I texted him. I said, hey, man, how much do I owe you? And he said, nothing. I'm glad to do this for a friend. 
And I went, and I showed that text to my wife, Rachel, and I was really excited, like probably too excited. And I said, look, he said, friend, we're past the awkward stage. And I thumped my chest so hard, it hurt for the rest of the day because I was so excited that I made a friend. (laughs) Jump into life and engage past the point of awkwardness, not just up to the point to where things become awkward. If you do that, you jump straight into point number three, which is where you get to engage in authentic life. Shamath Palihapitiya. Yes, I probably said that name incorrectly. I practiced, but I still probably said it incorrectly. Used to be, in 2011, the vice president for growth at Facebook. Later that year, in 2011, he is quoted at a Stanford Business School event as saying he feels tremendous guilt for working on tools that are ripping apart the social fabric of how society works. The the short-term dopamine-driven feedback loops that we have created are destroying how society works. His comments come one day after Facebook's founding president, Sean Parker, said the company exploits a vulnerability in human psychology. Later in the article that I read, Shamath, uh, rather colorfully, stated that he no longer has a Facebook account and he will never allow his children to have a Facebook account either. I heard on the radio this week that 35% of millennials make up fake vacations and post pictures of their fake vacations on social media to make their friends jealous about a trip that never actually happened. And I know I'm harping on social media a lot, but it becomes really easy to invest in social media and share on social media and share through text message. But when it comes to real face-to-face conversations, we clam up. Social media all too often becomes an avenue for us to ignore each other. It's a place where we build up walls and allows us to think that we are living and engaging with others when in reality, we're not. And that's not the picture. That's not the life that God created for us. God created us for community. A couple of weeks ago, I told you that Genesis, the first book in the Bible, is my favorite book in the Bible. And the the, the book of Genesis opens with the story of how God made the world and how God made people. And originally, God made Adam, the first man on the planet. But he recognized that something was off. Genesis 2.18 tells us, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will create a helper suitable for him. So God made Eve, and Adam and Eve lived together in community. If God knew for the very first person on the planet that he needed companionship and real and authentic community, he knows the same is true for you as well. So what can we do? How do we build this community into our own lives? Three things that directly reflect off the three things we just talked about. Number one, open up your home and invite people to come and eat with you. Do it today before you leave. The person sitting next to you, the person a couple of rows over or a section over that you think is really cool, but you're not sure if it would be too forward to ask them to hang out because that might be a little weird, approach them and say, hey, do you want to share a meal together? Do you want to come over and have dinner? Start with coffee if dinner is too scary. 
It doesn't matter if you have a big fat house that people would love to hang out in or a tiny little apartment with not a lot of stuff and you're slightly embarrassed about where you live. It doesn't matter. Open up your home anyway. Connect with people. Number two, don't quit coming simply because of an awkward encounter. Push past the awkwardness. Be willing to engage to the point where you reach past awkwardness, not just up to awkwardness. And number three, engage in real and authentic life. When someone opens the door for authentic life to happen, walk through that door. Share your struggles, your vulnerabilities. Be the real you. Be the person who cares about more than just sports and the weather in your conversations. This is very ironic that I am the one telling you about this because if you come to my Thursday night collective, I have told my Thursday night collective, I don't like sharing about myself. I like relationships and I like people and I like to have you close, but just close enough to where you don't really enter and I can push you and keep you away. I struggle with this. I know that there are people in the room who struggle with this as well. But part of engaging in community is being your real and authentic self in front of other people. So here we go. I'm a little bit nervous, honestly. I said at the beginning I was going to tell you something that might make you question what you know about me. You might walk out of here angry. We've had a good run. If I never get asked to preach again, I will understand. You don't have to go home, CT, like the song says, but you can't stay here. So my big secret is I don't like dogs. I don't like your dog. I don't like any of them. This isn't just like a mild indifference, kind of like tolerate them. Like, no, I actively really do not like dogs. If I could choose a world without mosquitoes or a world without dogs, I would take the mosquitoes over the dogs any day of the week. Now, let me just stop and say, I realize Dogs have a place in society, and they have positive impact on people, and a lot of people love them. They have a lot of good services that they provide. I'm not arguing that. I am simply saying, if I got the choice, I would never have to encounter a dog again for the rest of my life. But the problem with not liking dogs is that everybody has one. <laughs> Virtually every home you walk into, the first thing to greet you is a dog. Now, for the record, let me just say, I have a 21-month-old at home. <laughs> of course, she loves dogs, loves dogs. And I don't squash her joy. I don't take her joy away from her. I encourage her love of dogs, even so much that when we're out in public at the park, I pet and touch <laughs> other people's dogs. I encourage her joy, for the record. Um, just for the record also, some practical jokes are funny. If you're thinking, hey, this would be really funny for her birthday for a dog to show up at the house, not funny. <laughs> not funny at all. But I really don't like pets at all, but dogs to me are just at the top of the list of things that I don't like. They bark 
all the time at everything. They shed, I don't want to be at your house and have to worry about dog hair being on my plate or on my cup when I'm trying to drink something. I don't want to go home with my clothes covered in your dog's hair waste. Dogs are generally annoying. They're always in your business and they never leave you alone and they lick you. I do not want your dog's tongue anywhere on my body, okay? That's just <laughs> disgusting. And to make it worse, some people let dogs lick them on the mouth. This is so disgusting. I'm just saying, dog, D-O-G, God, G-O-D, complete opposites. I'm just throwing it out there. Here's why I am telling you this. Not to squash your joy, but... There is always a reason that you can find to not engage in community. Always a reason. For me, it's dogs. I could go to small group tonight, but their dogs are crazy. And Eliza's really excited to see them at first, our daughter. But then they jump on her and they scratch her and they knock her over and she's scared and she starts crying. And she's crying because she wants to see them, but she's also scared of them. And I, I, I totally interrupt all of the conversation and people are looking at me because she's crying. And I feel really awkward and guilty, so I'm just not going to go tonight. Maybe I'll try it next week. I'll bring a friend. We can tag team it together but I'll just skip tonight. And skipping tonight means skipping for a month, which means skipping altogether. So what's your excuse? I work really hard and I invest a lot into my career. And I come home and I'm tired. That's very understandable. My family is crazy busy and we have all kinds of activities and we're flying seven different directions. Completely understandable. Man, CT, I just want a night at home with my family where we have nothing going on, where we can invest in each other. Completely understandable. Don't let those understandable things become the excuse that stops you from digging into community. See, this is important. It doesn't happen all the time, but boy, does this happen. And you justify to yourself and you blame to yourself why you are not involved in community on everything but you. When really you are making the choice to not get in the car and to drive to a small group. You're making the choice to not be a part of the events that we do. You're making a choice to not be around. We, you and me, we were created to be in community Created to be in community, which was fostered in the early church by meeting in homes. And that is fostered here in the DNA of what we do at Collective. And that is why we meet in homes. Open up your home. Don't quit because it's awkward. Engage in real life. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this church that does events and activities and has ways for us to get involved, to jump in and to get to know each other. We thank you for the relationships that are being built and formed around all those activities and those events. We appreciate the story from the book of Genesis from Adam where you teach us that it is not good for us to be alone and we pray that we can take that step, whatever it looks like, to engage in real and authentic community in our own lives. 
Thank you for being a God who cares about us enough that you give us the chance to be and interact with people because we know it's good for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.